Well, hey there. My name is Pastor Tim, and you have found my podcast. I currently serve as the pastor of First United Methodist Church of Fort Pierce, Florida, and I'm so grateful to be able to connect with you in this way. This podcast is a collection of my sermons and teachings that I hope you will use to deepen and strengthen your connection with Jesus Christ so that you might go and transform the world around you. So kick back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. He said to him, teacher, I have kept all of these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, you lack one thing. Go, sell what you own and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked, and he went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And then the disciples were perplexed at these words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, for mortals it is impossible, but not for God. For God all things are possible. So you'll be happy to know that uh, this is not a sermon about giving. It's not even a sermon that's going to tell you that it is morally wrong to be wealthy or even rich. In fact, I want you, just for this moment, and this is probably the only time I'll ever say this to you as your pastor, I want you for one moment to just disregard the fact that Jesus is discussing money with this rich young man. What we find here in the Gospel of Mark and within Jesus' teaching to this rich young ruler is the quintessential question that all who are seeking truth and find it in Jesus ask. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to be saved? And Jesus' answer is deeply troubling to both the man and to the disciples who are standing there listening. Jesus essentially says to both of them, it's impossible. 
And though he is specifically referring to how hard it is for a rich person, I think that this is a generally universal truth, thanks in no small part to the fact that nearly every single person born in this country is considered rich by Jesus' ancient Middle Eastern standards. But that's all just the setup for this part of the scripture that I want to focus on. Because in that very last line, Jesus tells us all the very good news. How can anyone be saved? Well, for mortals, it is impossible. But for God, for God, all things are possible. So this is the beginning of a new sermon series called Good Grace. And we're going to be looking at just how God accomplishes the impossible task of bringing stubborn humans into a saving relationship with Jesus. And what we are going to find out is that it is entirely through the beautiful activity of God's grace, of God's good grace, that we, silly, selfish, and often downright sinful human beings, are given the opportunity to find restoration in everything that sin has broken in our lives. Now, I grew up in the United Methodist Church, and I went to, I went to Sunday school, and I graduated from Sunday school, and I went to youth group. And at youth group, I went to retreats, and I went to church camp, and I basically did all of the things, right? All of the things that we hope that our children will do in order to grow up in the knowledge and love of God and of Jesus. And I learned all of the right things that there were to learn. Specifically, I learned about the word grace. And basically, what I walked into my adult life with was an understanding that grace was a thing that I received when I made a decision to follow Jesus. And that is a true understanding of what grace is, but it is not a full understanding of grace. So what I learned when I came back around to the United Methodist Church in my late 20s was that that grace did not begin for me the moment that I decided that Jesus was going to be the king of my heart. Grace is something that I and that you and that every person who has ever walked the face of the earth has been continually given. Our theological founding father, a a man named John Wesley, made kind of his life's mission to understand God's grace and how it intersected with human life. And we now understand his life's work as a Wesleyan theology of grace. Now, in in its most basic form, grace which for us is a word translated from the Greek New Testament, the Greek word charis, is the same word that they used to describe a gift. And so at its most basic form, grace is the receiving of something of blessing that we don't deserve. 
But for Wesley, that simply wasn't good enough. Wesley believed that God's grace was more than just a gift to be received. Grace was more than something to pocket, more than a possession. Grace is something that is active. Grace isn't something that we possess, but rather something that possesses us and is active in our lives, something working. Grace, for John Wesley, was the activity of the Holy Spirit, the literal presence of the living God moving in the lives of human beings. And for Wesley and for me and for everyone else in this world, that means that this is not something that we only receive, something that begins to happen to us when we follow Jesus. The Holy Spirit is something that is actively working in the lives of all humans from the moment that they are conceived in their mother's wombs. And this is something that the scriptures through and through testify to. This is from the beginning of the prophet Jeremiah. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And then I said, Ah, Lord, truly, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a boy. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am only a boy, for you shall go to all whom I send you, and you shall speak whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you. Hundreds of years later, a new prophet would be born. And the angel of the Lord came to the father of that prophet, a man named John the Baptist, and said these words to him. He says, you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He must never drink wine or strong drink, even before his birth. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord, their God. What we see in these passages is that God is invested in human beings before we know anything about God. God has hopes and plans for people before we have hopes and plans for ourselves. And it is God's desire, God's plan, and God's will that all people would seek out and be saved by following Jesus. But God also knows that for humans, well, for humans, that is impossible. Therefore, God's activity begins in our lives from the very beginning of them in order to make it possible. Christian belief has long held that humans are inherently disobedient. If you don't believe that, you can come hang out with my toddler anytime and you will learn. We all suffer from a condition called original sin. But before there was an original sin, 
God looked at humans and he called us very good. Before there was original sin, there was original righteousness. And if you don't believe that, you can come hang out with my newborn. But that's the status that God's grace seeks to restore in every single human being. So while sin draws us further away from God, God's grace is actively working to pull us towards Jesus and towards righteousness. And this activity in our lives is what we call provenient grace. Provenient grace is the grace of God that goes before us and even before our awareness of it. It is the grace of God actively working in our lives, creating the space and the conditions in our hearts and in our worlds that allow us to respond to God and say, yes. I want to follow Jesus. It is the grace of God that, as John Wesley said, prevented us from slipping into utter brokenness. For some folks, this part of their lives where they're living in provenient grace is short because they come to follow Jesus as children. So provenient grace for them shows up in their lives through their family of origin, a family that grows them up and nurtures them in the faith through, through the church and through the sacrament of infant baptism where the church makes a covenant with a child to show them and teach them who Jesus is. It comes to them maybe through a friend who tells them about Jesus or a trip to a summer camp where they meet with God in a real way for the first time. None of those things alone is an act that can save them or give them eternal life, but they are all factors that lead a person to the point where they are capable of making a decision to follow Jesus. For some people, this part of their life is long. But God, God's really good at playing the long game. God is relentless in his pursuit of humans and will take as much time as any of us decide that we need. Now, I kind of fall into the first camp, but I also re-met God later on. But for me, I, you know, provenient grace, as I, as I look back on my life and have learned this concept and have taken some time to, to reflect, I, I see the grace of God beginning to work in my life really through my cousin, who is one year younger than me. Now, I was maybe in um, second or, or third grade. I don't remember exactly uh, how old I was, but I remember I was at my aunt and uncle's house and we were playing one day. And, you know, I don't know why. But uh, she took me by the hand and brought me into a closet, and we sat down on the floor, and she told me about Jesus. Now, I knew a thing or two about Jesus because, you know, Christmas and Easter happened, and my family was nominally Christian. We, we celebrated these things. So, so I knew the name Jesus. I knew that Jesus was the Son of God, but I had no idea really what all that meant. She told me about eternal life. 
and that I needed to trust and follow Jesus in order to receive it, which is pretty bold for like a six-year-old, right? I always make fun of them. It's because they're Baptists. So I went home, and I told my mom that I wanted to go to church. And that's really where my journey began. So over the next couple of years, God shaped my heart until I was really ready to give myself over to following Jesus. So provenient grace comes to us as we find and we look back on our lives through a lot of unlikely sources, like six-year-olds and on the floor of closets. And often provenient grace comes to us through a lot of different sources, especially depending on how long we wait to be ready. Because the older we get, the more convincing we need that we don't know everything, right? But provenient grace is the presence of God wooing us and pulling us towards God. Provenient grace is universal, and it is something that should give each and every one of us hope, because provenient grace means that no one is too far gone to have a transformative encounter with God. Sometimes the grace of God shows up through people who dedicate their time to people who are in dire situations. Prison, hospital, military chaplains and volunteers spend their lives as agents of God's provenient grace, shining light into the darkest places on earth. And sometimes that grace just shows up through normal people like you and me. But regardless of how people experience provenient grace, its end goal is always the same. To bring people, no matter where they are, into a relationship with Jesus Christ. The young man asks, how do I inherit eternal life? How can I be saved? Jesus' answer was simple. You've been moving in my direction your whole life. You've been following the commandments, a good and decent gift that was given to you by God through the law to show you what I look like. Now all that's left for you to do is make a decision. Drop everything and follow me. There's always a decision to make for each and every one of us, but God's grace carries us to that decision, and God's grace frees us from ourselves long enough for us to make that decision for ourselves. You know, the good news of, of God's good grace, the good news of provenient grace is that it means that God is present in our lives. It means that God is present in the lives of those people whom we love who are still searching, who are still struggling with this question. 
It means that God is present in the lives of children who have no choice about the traumatic situations that they are born into. It means that God is present in the lives of babies who are born addicted to drugs. It means that God is present in the sufferings of humanity and that God is actively working in the hearts and minds and lives of those that he desires to rescue. It's good news because it means that our work as a church, our work as people who seek to share the love and the saving power of Jesus with the people of this world is not done in isolation. It means that God is present and actively working to prepare people for the ministry that we will bring to their lives. It means that what seems impossible for us is entirely possible for God. (laughs) This week, I watched as agents of God's provenient grace poured into the lives of 44 children here at art and music camp. Along with the gifts of music and art, you all gave the gift of love and hope. You know, my office sits squarely between where the drum circle was and where the chimes were happening. And so if you don't like this sermon, I blame it on all the noise. But there were moments where they, like, synced up, you know? But throughout all of it, it was just this gift that came into my heart to just hear something other than the air conditioning and the peacocks. You know, someday, and we may never know when, but someday those children are going to come face to face with the love of God. It's my, my belief and my hope and, and my prayer that when they come face to face with God's love, that they'll say, I know what this feels like. I recognize this. I, I've experienced this before. I experienced this that one week at that camp with all the, the, pe- the peacocks in the parking lot, right? And they will know that they're home. Wherever that home might be in the arms of the God who has been loving them for their entire lives and who for a week loved them through you. If you're out there and this is all like new concepts and new ideas for you, and you're trying to figure out if the Jesus or the church thing is is even for you, just keep listening. Just keep coming back. Everyone is here as proof that God has gone before you, that God has brought you to this place today. And God will take as much time as you need. But you are not alone while you wait. God is with you, and God is working in you. 
God has and will continue to go before you. Now, on the night before Jesus went to the cross, he set the table and he invited his disciples, his friends, to come and to gather and to eat with him. They did not know the full extent of what would happen in the days to come. But at that time, just being in the presence of Jesus was enough. And so, at the supper, Jesus took bread and he gave thanks to God. He blessed the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which soon will be broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup. And he gave thanks to God. And he blessed the cup and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and drink. This cup is the cup of the new covenant. It symbolizes my blood, which has been poured out for you and for many, for the forgiveness of sins. And so good and gracious God, we ask that you would pour your Holy Spirit out on us gathered here. That you would pour it out on these gifts of bread and of the cup. That they would be for us the very real presence of your goodness and your grace in our lives. And God, that through it, your grace would equip us to go out, to be one in mission and ministry to this world. God, we thank you for the ways that you go before us. We thank you that this meal shows us your great love for us. We thank you that the gift of this church, which nurtures and raises generations and generations of your disciples from that very first table to this table here today and into the future. We thank you for your good grace. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen.